Hi friends, this is the That Christian Next Stop podcast. My name is Sam, your host, and in this episode, episode two of the Made for More mini-series, we will be exploring the fullness of the everlasting life that God has promised for those who believe in him in John 3.16. In episode one of this series, we talked about how John 3.16 is the fulfillment of the Genesis plan of redemption for mankind. We talked about how it is itself a plan and a provision, a planned provision. We talked about how the plan was the given of the Son for everlasting life and how the provision is belief, not perishing, and everlasting life. Everlasting life is essentially a complete, satisfying, and forever life. We spoke also about how there were four people of note in John 3.16. They are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the person that believes. Now when there is agreement between these four people, power is released. Romans 1 verse 16 talks about how there is power in the gospel towards salvation. John 3.16 is the gospel. And so when the four people in John 3.16 are in agreement, the power towards salvation is released. And that results in belief, not perishing, and everlasting life. So you are caught up with episode one. Now we move on to episode two. The point I really want to drive home in this episode is that we were made, every human being was made for everlasting life. Everlasting life is essentially more. And so we were made for more. That's what this episode is about. That's what the series is about. We were made for more. And when I say more, I don't mean more consumption. I don't mean more spending. I just mean a more life, a more complete life, a more satisfying life, a forever life, a life where we are happy and joyful and peaceful and loved and whole. More, more joy, more peace, more kindness, more faithfulness, more long suffering, more self-control. We were made for more. And when we get to the point where we think we've achieved it all, there is more. And when we get to the point where we die on earth, there is more. And when we get to the point where we get to heaven, there is more. And there's a new earth and there's a new heaven. And there is more and more and more and more and more and more than we have ever experienced. We were made for more. We were not made to settle. We were not made to make do. We were not made to count our chickens or sow our cloth according to our size. We were made for more. We were made for more. We were made for the extravagance of God, and God is extravagant. Everlasting life is a promise for all. Otherwise, if it was just a promise for those after John 3.16, then there would be a lot of people before John 3.16 who are without hope. But God is a God of hope, and God is an everlasting God, and so He is the everlasting God of hope. Everlasting means no beginning and no end, and so it means everyone who is a child of God has hope. And so, everlasting life is a promise for all of us, past, present, and future. I have to be honest with you as I record this episode. It has been a tough episode to record. I think I've had at least 10 to 15 takes, right? It has been a tough episode to record, and I've asked God for strength, and I believe He has strengthened me. But I think one of the reasons why I have found it a little more difficult than usual to record this episode is because of the actual topic. When trying to pass across and when trying to contemplate and understand this idea of everlasting life, you're kind of flooded with a lot of the different things that happen in our daily lives, 
right? This time life. And so things like guilt and shame and, and things like, you know, feeling inadequate and insufficient. And here I am trying to talk about the eternal, about this more, about this everlasting life that we've been called to. And it's like, how do I live in this and also talk about it while kind of fending off all these other things? And this is actually the Christian calling to cast all our cares and burdens onto the Lord because he cares for us and then to look unto Jesus, the author and finishing of our faith. And so I'm recording this and I'm doing it in faith. And I hope that at the end of it, I will get to the point that God wants me to get to passing across the message he wants me to pass across and hopefully we'll all be the better for it. The context of the human story is God's love and his plan. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And the fact of it is, you can only love with an everlasting love if you exist in the everlasting. The everlasting is the eternal. And so you can only have power over the eternal if you exist in the eternal. If you are not subject to the passage of time like we are here on earth. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That can only come from the everlasting eternal one. And so the context of the human story is an everlasting God with an everlasting love and a plan. Additionally, God is living. He's alive and he's the God of the living. In Luke 20, 37 to 38, Jesus himself refers to this. He talks about, well, the dead are raised to life because even Moses, when he saw the burning bush, described God as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the time when Moses saw the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were long gone, but yet he described them knowing they were alive. In Jeremiah 10.10, God is said to be the God of the living and the everlasting King. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, God, the one who is alive, is the one who quickens. Only one that is alive can make alive, and God can make alive physically and spiritually. In Romans chapter 6 verse 10, the Apostle Paul describes the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. Only one that is alive can make alive. And so God is alive, but he's also the God of the living. Jesus Christ was raised to life. And we pass from death to life. In Revelation 1 verse 18, Jesus explains that he is the ever-living one. He died, he admits but he is alive forevermore and he holds the keys of death and Hades. God is alive and God is everlasting and he has called us to an everlasting life, an everlasting hope, an everlasting more. He has called us to live, to live abundantly, to live an everlasting life. The overall context of the human story is the everlasting love of an everlasting God and his plan for everlasting. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And these are the words of God, thoughts of good and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. Thoughts of good as a produce of his love, not of evil as a produce of his love to bring you to an expected end which is his plan. And so the overall context for everything in the human story is the everlasting love of an everlasting God and his plan for the everlasting. But God added more. In the creation, we were created with free will. 
essentially people had the option to do what they wanted to do. They could choose to love God or not, to hate him, to despise him, to adore him. They could do whatever they wanted. Free will, creation with free will, was an act of fate. It's an act of fate that continues till this day. Everybody is free to choose. Nobody is exempt. You're free to choose. And it's an example of the fate that God has. The fate that God expects from every single one of us. There was also no doubt in the breath of life. When God breathed into Adam's nostrils, it was a breath of fate. Fate that brought life. And so these two things, the creation with free will and the breath of life, introduced the idea of fate. Fate being an aspect of God that we later learn is critical to pleasing him. In Hebrews 11 verse 6 we learn, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is a critical part. Faith is in the context of the human story. And so if you look at John 3.16, the belief part, that's faith. If you look at the context of our creation, the context of the human story, and you translate that to John 3.16 where you see God's love, you see the plan, and then you see faith. Faith leads to salvation which is not perishing eventually leading to everlasting life. It's all there. It was all there in the garden. It's all there in John 3.16. The plan of the garden is essentially John 3.16. The love of God, the plan, fate, not perishing, which is salvation and then everlasting life. So everlasting life comes through these, an acceptance of God's love and his plan, an acceptance of the fate he authors in us, and the walk of salvation that we are called to. All of that leads to everlasting life. The breath of life brought with it life and everlasting life. A life like God lives. So essentially, the breath of life, faith, brings life and everlasting life. Belief in God brings life and everlasting life. The love and the plan come first, but then faith and salvation and everlasting life follow. And these are the contexts for human life. This is the context for the human story. The everlasting love of an everlasting God and his plan for the everlasting. And then there is the fate and then the salvation and then his everlasting life. Unfortunately, we added new contexts. Through a misuse of the free will that they had, Adam and Eve brought in sin. Sin that passes down and death, both physical and spiritual. These were not there. It was brought in by Adam and Eve. Now all have sinned. There is no escaping it. Every sin. If you actually think of it, innocence is a rejection of God's love, of God's plan, and faith in Him. That is a core part of who we are. The same faith He has that should be in our DNA. Every sin is a rejection of that. Sin is a rejection of everything that God had in place before Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And it's, it's funny now how the context has changed. So we had this love and the plan and faith, which led to salvation and everlasting life. But now, in John 3.16, everlasting life is shown as a reward, a gift from God. But there was a time it wasn't actually, in a sense, a reward in the way that we understand rewards in our contemporary world. It was the plan for everyone. But sin made everlasting life exclusive, only for those who believed, only for those who didn't choose sin. Before sin, everlasting life was the only option. Now it's one of two options. But I want you to notice kind of what has happened. So there is this love, there is a plan, there is fate, there is salvation, there is everlasting life. These are contexts. 
and now we human beings, we've added sin and death. Now, just because sin and death has been added, that doesn't mean that the love, the plan, the fate, salvation and everlasting life are gone. They're still there. And this is the power of God. That despite sin and death, the power of God unto salvation, the gospel is still there. Essentially, those, those contexts, God's love, the plan, faith, salvation, everlasting life, that's John 3.16. That existed in the garden and it exists in the New Testament in the guise of John 3.16. In John 10.10, Jesus explains how he has come to take away the sins of the world so that those that believe in him may have life and life more abundantly. Essentially, it's just, okay, sin is here, death is here, I'm calm that those don't have power over you. You can still have everlasting life. The desire and intention for us to have everlasting life is not purely New Testament. God has been trying to reach us always. Look at Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Jonah when he went to Nineveh, Paul when he went on his missionary journeys, Jesus, John the Baptist, all of them. Everlasting life has always been the goal, it's always been what God has been trying to bring us towards. And all the while people have been committing sin and people have been dying. But that doesn't stop. Love, plan, fate, salvation, everlasting life. It doesn't stop it. These are, they are all contexts. They all count. They all exist. But God's original construct, God's original framework still applies. Still is powerful. It's not just for those who were alive when John 3.16 was said. It's not for those after John 3.16. It's not for any special group of people. Everlasting life is for everyone. And come to think of it, it would be odd if everlasting life only belong to New Testament believers, but Old Testament believers had less. Remember, we said in episode 1, John 3.16 is not some sort of marketing strategy or a sales tactic. It's actually just the purest form of love, without any baggage, without any conditions. It's just the purest form of love. Before ever you did anything, before ever you could do right or wrong, God loved you. It's an everlasting love. You didn't exist. You started at some point, but before that point, God loved you. So God's love is never, has never, will never be dependent on what you have done. But everlasting life will depend on what you have done. John 3.16 is not some marked employee, it's not a sales tactic. It is the purest form of love that has not changed and will not change for anyone. And it is an everlasting love as identified by Jeremiah in the Old Testament well before Jesus. So everlasting life is not a Jesus thing. It didn't come with Jesus Christ. It has always been. We have always been for everlasting life. We have always been called to everlasting life. We have always been called to more. And the reason why I say that is because we're made for more. And so everywhere we find ourselves, any way life shakes out, we are made for more. Even if we're in the doldrums right now, we're made for more. Even if things aren't working out right now, we're made for more. Even if we're at the top of the world right now, we are made for more. There is always more. And that's why the Bible encourages us to be steadfast always abandoned because there is always more. If you think of the history of the human story, God's love, God's plan, creation for everlasting life, free will, the misuse of free will, sin, the knowledge of good and evil, physical death, spiritual death, everlasting life still remained the intention. When God set out his plan for redemption, the seed of the woman who bruised the head of the serpent, everlasting life was still, was the intention. And even then, sin continued, death continued. People still continued in sin, people still kept dying. People sinned more and deaths happened more. And it blew up and exploded. At some point it had to be reset with Noah. 
but sin still continued and death still continued. And then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob came and Joseph in Egypt happened and the Ten Commandments happened and the laws and the prophets happened. Yet sin continued and death continued. And Jesus came and yet people died. Yet people will continue to sin. And that happens till this day. These are the contexts of human life as we know it. The message today is trust in the context that involves everlasting life. You don't have to choose the context of sin and death. Choose the context of everlasting life. You don't have to be a slave to sin and death. You can choose the context of everlasting life. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. Verse 19 and 20 say, It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Everlasting life for our sake. We know the context of the human story. Originally, God's everlasting love and God's plan, God's fate, his salvation and everlasting life. We brought in our own context of sin and death. It was passed down from our ancestors as part of an empty life. But we're not called to an empty life. We are called for more. We are made for more. And we can have more. It's just a choice. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you read John 3.16, it comes across like it is only after the Son was given that belief in the Son for salvation is possible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you look at the chronological order of things there, it is only after the Son is given that belief in the Son for salvation is possible. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all those before John 3.16 were hopeless. Remember, God is a God of hope. He is the everlasting God of everlasting hope. And so, back then, before John 3.16, people had frameworks for relating with God. They were not without hope. They were not without guidance. They had a direction. If you look at the story of Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which essentially gave them the knowledge of good and evil. So they knew how to relate with God. They knew what was right and wrong. They knew what was good, what was evil. They knew what they should do and what they should not do. Following from that, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws and commandments were given. They were a guide to people. Following from that in Psalms 24, David lays it out. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Well, the one that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And when you look at these three things, the knowledge of good and evil, the Ten Commandments and the other laws and commandments, and then the clean hands and pure hearts, you kind of get a picture then of a kind of heart and head knowledge of God's law. There is an understanding that God's law can be written on your heart, and then it could also be written in paper on stone tablets. But what God intends, what God wants is to write it in your heart. You know it in your heart and you know it in your head. So these people were not without hope. They weren't without direction. Before John 3.16, they were not without hope or direction. They had hope. They had a sense of direction. They had a framework with which to relate to God. Until this day, we have that framework. In Acts 4 verse 12, Peter says, By no other name can any man be saved except the name of Jesus. That's our framework. But everybody 
that has ever existed has had a framework, one way or the other, to relate to God. There is nobody that is without excuse, and that is why I say everyone has had an encounter with God. The only way you get to hell is you got to Jesus and you said no. There has always been a framework, one way or the other, whether the knowledge of good and evil, whether the Ten Commandments and the other laws and commandments, or whether your hands were clean and your heart was pure. But let's even go deeper. Let, let's, let's ground this. John 5.24 If you read that, you can see how it's actually quite similar to John 3.16. In John 5.24, I'll quote that from the King James Version. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes in him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This is very similar to John 3.16. But... I want to show you something. Jesus often said when he was here on earth that he doesn't speak his words. He only speaks what he hears his father say. In John 12 49, that's what he says. I have not spoken from myself, but the father who sent me, he gave me commandments, what I will say and what I will utter. So when Jesus says in John 5 24, he that hears my word, essentially he's saying he that hears the word of my father. But then you continue in John 5 24, and he says, and believes on him that sent me. Well, who sent Jesus? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So, believes in him that sent me essentially means believe in God the Father. So then you could read John 5, 24 a slightly different way to give the same kind of meaning. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word, which is the word of my Father, and believes on him that sent me, which is my Father, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And that there is the framework that those before John 3.16 had to believe. Now, Jesus is God. God is in Jesus. And I'll give you a scripture that shows that. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now we move to 20. What is this message of reconciliation? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And that is essentially what everyone who has ever been sent by God is doing. That's what we're doing in the podcast. Come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to everlasting life. Come back to more. Because you were made for more. Everybody had a framework that would get them to everlasting life. Everybody, every human being, has always had access to the plan for everlasting life. Everybody. Whether John 3.16, whether John 5.24, whether the knowledge of good and evil, whether Ten Commandments, clean hands, pure hearts, hearts and head knowledge, there have been ways. And if you just did not know, it's because you chose not to. But everlasting life, God has gone through hoops. Every possible process every possible angle to make sure that we have access to everlasting life he has done everything because everlasting life is for us it was made for us it is the plan for us and he's done everything he can and he's doing everything he can to get us to get that it still boils down to a choice you need to believe you need to have that faith that faith consistent with how we were made the intention to make us and the creation that brought us to life let us choose the right context, the God context, not the man-made context of sin and death, but the God context of love, of a plan, of fate, of salvation, and of everlasting life. 
Of course, at a point everlasting life became punctuated by physical death, but everlasting life never ended. In John 17, 24, while on earth, Jesus prayed that all the people that God the Father had given to him would be with him where he was going. Heaven, everlasting life. That's Jesus' prayer. All the people, Lord, all the people, Father, that you have given me, let them spend eternity with me. Everlasting life is the goal. It's the plan. It's the intention for our lives, not less. God is the God of the living. God is the God of the everlasting. God is the God of love, of hope, of a plan, of faith, of salvation, and of everlasting life. And he wants us to be people of the same, not dead, not in sin. Ephesians 2 verse 1, I'll quote it again. You had he quickened who were dead in sin and trespasses. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us out of that and back into life. John 5.24 says it. When we believe in him, we are passed from death to life. We're not called for sin and death. We're not called for separation from God. We're not called for physical death. We're not called for spiritual death. But sin and physical death are the context in which everyone is born into. It's the empty life passed on to us by our ancestors. But let us choose the everlasting life that was given to us by God, intended for us by God. That's a beautiful thing. So God has seen me through this recording so far, thanks be unto him. And so far we've spoken about the different contexts that surround the human story. So God's everlasting love, his plan, his fate, salvation, and everlasting life. So let us dial back a little. We also introduced the human contexts that play a part nowadays in human life. So this is sin and also death. Now let us actually look at specifically the consequences of sin. One of them is the given of the law. The second is physical and spiritual death. The third is the promise and arrival of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now the plan has always been everlasting life. But sin brought about death. God did not bring it. Sin is a separator from God. It's just something that enters in and just separates. And so separation from God led to death. Once separated, that just entered in and seeped in and passed down. Now, the Bible does not shy away from physical or spiritual death or its hurts. It acknowledges it. We know the story of Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel in Luke chapter 2 verse 25. God had promised him that he would not see death until he saw the arrival of Jesus. In that is actually an admittance that death will come, physical death. But in that also is the promise of everlasting life with God, having been faithful to him. We also know the story of the criminal on the cross, the one who admitted to his shortcomings and sins saying that he deserved to be there. The one who pled with Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The one to whom Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. That there is an acknowledgement of physical death. Physical death is in the Bible. It passed down. It's a context of the human story. It is there. It hasn't gone anywhere. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, died. And when Jesus came and was beside the grave, we see how he was annoyed. We see how moved emotionally he was. 
deaths hurts. The death of loved ones, of our friends, of our family, of those close to us, of our church members, of the body of Christ. Physical separation from them hurts. The Bible acknowledges it. But we also see the story of Lazarus the beggar, the one who was begging for food from the window of the rich man. And when both died, Lazarus was in the safe place in hell and the rich man was on the other side. And Abraham was there on the safe side. And the rich man was saying to Abraham, would you tell Lazarus to dip his hand in some water and drop it on my tongue? The Bible does not shy away from physical death. And it does not shy away from spiritual death. These are real things. Everlasting life, in and of itself, is an acknowledgement of everlasting death, of spiritual death. Humans are not made for separation from God and surviving. Death was not God's plan. God wants us to survive. God wants us to live and live more abundantly. That's why Jesus came. It is sin that caused death. And so sin passed. And so physical and spiritual death passed. And once sin passed down, it remained passed even during the time of Jesus and even after his death and resurrection. People still sin and people still die till this day. Even if a whole generation did not sin, there still would be physical death because once sin passed down in the Garden of Eden, it remained passed down. Our righteousness does not prevent physical death or spiritual death. Even God's righteousness does not prevent physical death. It can delay it. But it does, however, prevent spiritual death. There will be a time when sin is finally eliminated. And there will be a place where there will be no death, no sorrow, no crying or pain. Revelation chapter 21 talks about this. And no one and nothing evil can enter that place. But until then, death is a tool. It was used in Egypt to differentiate between the children of God and those who did not want to operate as children of God. Death is also a door, bringing us to spiritual life or to spiritual death. Death is a tool. That's all it is. Nothing to be afraid of. And God is in control of that. It doesn't happen. It's not independent of Him. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. There is no one that dies that He's not aware of. There's nobody that hurts because of death that He's not aware of their hurt. Death is a tool now. A tool that brings us to Him. God is not right now in the business of keeping us physically alive on this earth forever. But He does keep us spiritually alive. Forever. One day though, physical deaths and spiritual deaths will stop. God is not wicked. His wish for us is that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. He knows the hurt of death. He felt it Himself. But He didn't bring it about. Sin did. Human actions did. And it's now a context of the human story. But it doesn't have to define our lives. It doesn't have to put us in fear. We are called to fate. It is by faith that we were created. And it's by faith that we should live. Because the just shall live, must live by fate. And so when it comes to death, prayer can play a role. Prayer is itself a planned provision by God. And so now, children of God, we aim for physical death, but spiritual life. And Jesus went through the same. Physical death, but spiritual life. The second consequence of sin was the giving of the law. 
sin and a poor understanding of God required the law. Now, the law is perfect. Psalms 19 verse 7 says this. It sought to bring about everlasting life. The point of it was that if people knew what they should not do, then perhaps they would not do it, and that is how, when they died, they would get everlasting life. But the fact of it was, the law was brutal. Failure to adhere to the law brought about death. There was no grace with it. Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 says, Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the law. But you see, the law and the commandments and the Ten Commandments were not the fullest reflection of who God is. The law tells us the things humans can do but should not do. It does not explicitly tell us what God would do or show us who God is. But Jesus does. And he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The Ten Commandments does not say thou shalt not commit adultery because God would not commit adultery. It shows us who we are in the hope that when we see who we are, we may yearn for God. The Ten Commandments shines a light on our weakness, indirectly bringing us close to God. That if somehow we're able to obey it, well then, yeah, sure, we get close to God. But then if we can't, well, we realize how weak and needful of Him we are. There has always been repercussions for evil, for sin. In the absence of laws, the wrongs people did may not have been called sin, as the Apostle Paul explains in Romans 5 verse 5, but there must have been repercussions. The repercussions of evil are pointless without spiritual death. It would be unfathomable to suggest that heaven is crawling with people who did not repent of their sin, just because there was no law. The repercussions of evil are pointless without spiritual death. So people went to hell before the law. People went to hell during the law. And now in the time of the New Testament, people still go to hell. The law highlights the need for God's grace. And Jesus Christ brought that grace for everyone. The law brings sin consciousness. Now you're aware, oh right, this is actually sin. Before, people didn't know. The fact of it is, if we look retrospectively, sin occurred before the law, definitely. Cain killed Abel. But it wasn't counted as sin because there was no law. It wasn't counted as sin, but it had an effect associated with sin, which is physical death and eventually spiritual death. There is no punishment in physical death unless it is coupled with spiritual death. Sin required the law. Finally, this introduction by human beings of sin and death necessitated a plan from the Father the seed of the woman bruising the head of the deceiver, the serpent. Jesus Christ being that seed. Jesus Christ being that promise. Jesus Christ is a way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Him. No one could take on our sin except the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God, Jesus. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your cares and burdens upon Him because He cares for you. Matthew 11:48 says, Come unto me, all you that labor. This is Jesus speaking, and I will give you rest. Jesus is God himself. Jesus dwelling with us on earth is like God the Father with Adam and Eve in the garden. God the Father was in the garden when everything was all right. Then everlasting life was on track as it was intended. Nowadays, 
when Jesus lives in you, as in Galatians 2 verse 20, everything is alright and everlasting life is on track. It may not look like it. Sin and death certainly will be happening in the world. But when Jesus lives in you, everything is alright and everlasting life is on track. When you believe in him, you are essentially living in a type of Garden of Eden before sin and death entered. There, everything God has for you is yours through his faith working in you and for you. When Jesus lives in you, you are living a complete, satisfying and forever life. You still work like Adam and Eve had to. Sin and death still happens around you, but you would be living in everlasting life. Physical death would just be a door to pass through to get to the other side. Now, when we talk about such things, we need to understand the practicalities. And there are practicalities. When a plan is made, things take time. First, the plan is given as it was given in Genesis, and then there is a wait. Like, for instance, the disciples had to wait in the upper room for Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So there's a plan and then there's the wait. But then there is the fulfillment of the plan and then the arrival of the promise. All of this takes time. We are promised everlasting life through John 3.16, through every single framework that has ever existed. But it takes time. It's a process. We have to live this life on earth. We have to go through the door that is death and then we get there. These are the practicalities. But these are not things to be frustrated about. These are things to be excited about. We get to have everlasting life. We get to see the one we love. God so loved us that he made us. Well, we so love him that we can't wait to die to get to him. I know that sounds weird. <laughs> but we were made for more. And there is so much more than everything we see around us today. We were made for more. We were made for more. And by God's grace, we shall get there. Be blessed.